Hi, everybody. <laughs> I am a grateful follower and disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I am, um, with his help, have recovery from growing up in a dysfunctional family, and I am currently working on some emotional eating issues, and my name's Carolyn. I'm going to open us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening and all the wonderful blessings that you've shown us so far and, and um, all the great mercies that you bestow on us. And we just pray for our time together that you help us through our healing and help us through our hurts and help us to see that you are still there for us um, in the good and the bad and the ugly, Lord. And, uh, and just pray over the words that I speak, that they are heard in love and grace. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just to start with, normally I pay very little attention to social media, mostly because I like my sanity. However, I did see a really good one today because of Easter and the resurrection and renewal is this wonderful person posted. Uh, they are a brand new believer and they have come out of a life of real tragedy. And I posted and said, after a lot of confusion, I now identify with the following pronouns. I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. I am sanctified. I am purified. I am chosen. I am set apart. I am righteous, holy, godly, overcomer, believer, and worshiper. I would appreciate if you all address me as such. The old identity is dead and gone. Amen. So, if somebody asks you your pronouns, you've got a new one. So we are on step five. We admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. And then James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So, as we're talking about Easter, I hope everyone had a really great weekend. It's, uh, it's an amazing time of year when Christians get to celebrate the greatest moment in history. And it is the defining moment of our faith. And every year, more and more, I am struck by the passion story of Jesus. He starts with his dinner uh, with the disciples, which was Passover. They were celebrating freedom. And he then sits down and he does communion with them, just as we did tonight, where he breaks the bread as reference to his body, and he pours out the wine as his blood. Then he goes through his arrest, his trial, his torture, and his crucifixion. Then he gets buried in a stranger's tomb, they seal it. They put a contingent of soldiers in front in case some of those rascally disciples decide to come and steal his body. And then the resurrection on his third day. And while I was reading through some stuff this weekend, there was a gentleman who wrote and said, somebody asked me what I would do on my last day. And he said, well, I'd probably eat too much. I'd probably spend too much. I'd probably drive my car too fast. I'd probably tell a few people off. Probably a whole bunch of stuff that I probably shouldn't do. And he said, yet, our Savior knew, knew it was his last day, and he decided to wash feet. Amen. And that is something he has done for us, for all of us, 
And that is how we should be looking at our Savior, that he came and did, was served in service. All right, I'm going to get that to work. Ooh-hoo. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's really humbling to think that the Lord of all creation took on our sin, past, present, and future, and to be the final sacrificial lamb. And that's the posture I want us to take as we move into step five on admit. We need to be humble. See, some of us, and I know who you are, don't think you need to do this step. So I want everyone in the room to put your hand up, just one. And you can put your hand down if, one, you don't need to do this step because you don't have any issues. <laughs> Two, you can put your hand down if you're going to tell us that you've already dealt with everything. And, or you're just going to tell us all that Jesus says he took it all from me when I got saved, so I'm good. Okay. Three, you can put your hand down if you've decided that you just don't want to look at it. It's all in my past. I just don't want to go there. Four, if you've got a really good excuse you want to come up here and share with the group, <laughs> you don't need to do step five. Okay, look around. Okay, you can put your hand down. Good. Now that we can all see that we all need to do step five, we need to get past our fear and our pride in this step because admit is the time for reveal. And you need to reveal everything. Don't panic. No one's saying you've got to do it today and nobody's saying you have to do it all at once. You certainly don't need to come up here and tell the whole room everything bad that you've ever done or everything bad that's ever been done to you. It's like all the other steps. It's a process. So when we come into John 5, 5 to 8, it's the story about the man at the, who was lame, who was at the pool of Bethsaida, or Bethesda, depending on how you want to pronounce it. So if you don't know the story, um, there was this pool, kind of like any other outdoor pool. Think of your friend's backyard pool. But it was a really deep pool, and there's different things in history that they said it was actually for. However, there was a belief that periodically the Holy Spirit or an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters in the pool. And if you were the first person to get in the pool, you would be healed. So it was a place that a lot of people who were sick and blind and lame would like to hang out. So the story in the Bible tells us that there was a man who had been there and had been sick for 38 years. That's a long time. And Jesus saw him lying there. And he knew he'd already been sick a long time. And Jesus said to him, do you wish to get well? Sick man answered him, sir, I have nobody to take me over and put me in that pool when the water gets stirred up. And he says, and then if I'm trying to get in there, somebody else gets in there before me. I don't know what Jesus was thinking. This guy's like crazy. He's carrying on. I asked him a question. Jesus said to him, get up pick up your mat, and walk. I think this story is a really good one for us to remember because the Bible tells us the man had been lying there for 38 years when Jesus asked him if he wanted to get well. Sometimes we've been carrying our baggage around for so long, it's become our identity. If you notice in the Bible, they don't name this man. 
He doesn't have a name. He's that sick dude hanging out by the pool. Is that how we identify ourselves? I mean, we live in a world that is ever increasingly wants us to identify in our victimhood. I choose not to participate. But some of us want to stay in our safe place, our comfort zone. You know, the people who say, I can't change, that's who I am. Jesus wants to know if we're ready to stop being a victim and get healed. It's funny, the first thing that this sick man answered was to give Jesus excuses. When the God of all creation shows up and wants to know if you want to get your act together and you're too busy and you want to tell him how stressful my job is, and he said, and you don't understand my family, they are rotten, and then you tell him, but I'm, I'm stressed out with everything. Oh, you don't understand. My circumstances are so bad. Sometimes it's easier to make those excuses than to face our own reality. See, the sick man, if he got healed, things might have to change. He might have to leave his friends. You'd think after 38 years hanging out by the pool, you might have a friend or two. You know, the grumpy people who hang around and go, do you ache today? Are your knees okay? Have you got a headache? Oh, yeah, you know, my back bothers me. My, you know, whatever, you know. So he might then have to get a job. Maybe take on some new responsibilities. You know, get out of his comfort zone a little bit. Seems a little silly, doesn't it? Yet we all do that, myself included. We're in denial that because it's easier than facing the reality of the situation and then dealing with it. We've created all this control around ourselves to avoid, avoid admitting that we are powerless over our behaviors. We use food, we use drugs, we use stuff, sometimes we use people to fill up that emptiness or hurt that we can't get over. And Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. He's trying to tell you to take some action on it. Step five starts by telling us we need to admit to God the exact nature of our wrongs. Of course, God knows everything about us and what we have done or not done. Or stuff that's been done to us. Admitting our stuff to God first, knowing we can't hide anything. It helps us to be humble and to be fully honest. We can't pretend we're in control of our lives or that we have it all together. God isn't interested in our accomplishments. He isn't interested in our degrees. He isn't interested in our job titles. He certainly doesn't care about our latest vacation or our home renovation. In front of God, we can't pretend that we are good enough. Luke 18 tells about the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And I know it's tax season for some of us. And the tax collector was admired back then about as much as he's admired now. So Jesus is telling this parable to some people who trusted only in themselves. They thought they were just righteous and viewed everyone else with contempt. So he says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was the tax collector. Now the Pharisee stood and was praying these things to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like them. 
He says, I am not like the swindlers. I'm not like the unjust. I'm not like the adulterers. I'm even not like that tax collector over there. He says, I fast twice a week. I pay my tithes on everything. And then you see the tax collector. He's standing a little bit away. He's probably outside the temple entirely because he's not really liked inside. And he's standing there. He won't even look up to heaven. And he's beating his chest saying, God, be merciful on me, the sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went to a, down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, the Pharisee was all about himself. It was like, look at me. Look at what I've done. Sure, I'm far from perfect, but at least I'm not as bad as whoever that person was you just thought of. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? That's not really humble, is it? The Pharisees' prayers to God are all about how good he is. It's just all his external behaviors. The moral checklist we have of bad stuff that we should be avoiding. Then we can define goodness however we want and think we're checking off the boxes. That way we can live our entire lives independent of God, that we get to find what's good and right and true. Then you go off and pursue that life because you've decided that's how it is. That's just pride, and that's sin taking hold. Pride makes us the authority of our lives. Pride blinds us to our own flaws and magnifies everybody else's, and that's all social media is. Look at me how great I am, and you're just, you know, need to be canceled. Pride shows up thinking that we're only the product of our circumstances, and we are never to take the fault or responsibility for where we are. So... Admitting to God first the exact nature of our wrongs helps us to be humble, to know that I'm broken, that there are fragmented parts inside of me that I need healing, and that I need Jesus. So, next, we need to admit them to yourself. First John, no, am I missing it? Maybe. 1 John 1.8 says, if we have no sin, we, dece we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Well, congratulations. Most of you are at least at the point that you recognize there are issues that are bigger than yourself and that you need help with. Presumably, that's why you all came here tonight. It takes a lot of courage to look at yourself in the mirror and acknowledge that you're not perfect, that you have stuff that you haven't dealt with, and that stuff's holding you back or making a big mess of things in your life. That you are not just a victim in your life or that it's everybody else's fault. When you admit to yourself, you can take accountability of your own actions in your life. Every day we get up, we have a whole day of choices. There are things that are out of our control, but there are a lot of things that are the result of our own choices. So you need to admit that you're chronically tired because you stay up late gaming or binge watching on Netflix. You need to admit that your anger problem is because you have been working on your self-control and aren't choosing to take another action to deal with your frustrations. You need to admit you're having money problems because you're spending money on gambling or maybe your spending is out of control because you want everyone to think you are doing better than you are. Maybe you need to admit your marriage is in trouble because you hold grudges and you keep secrets and you're blaming your spouse for everything. Admit is an action word and it's time to be taking action. 
Lastly, you need to admit to yourself. So you need to admit to someone you trust. This is probably the most difficult part of this step. I know confessing to someone else is hard. Most of us find it easier to confess our wrongs to ourselves and God because nobody's hearing it. I know most of us have trust issues. We have all had someone who's let us down or shared something that they were supposed to keep secret. So I understand that finding a person we can trust can be one of the biggest hurdles in this step. This was a very tough one for me. Often when I had shared a little bit about the dysfunction in my family, I was often dismissed by well-meaning people telling me it wasn't that big a deal or they had sympathy for the person who was causing all the dysfunction in my family. Mostly, I just didn't feel like anybody heard me. So while admitting was a difficult step for me, it was also the best. I finally felt heard and I had a huge weight lifted off me. My accountability partner helped me to have a very clear perspective of the situation. It wasn't bigger than I thought it was, but it wasn't smaller than what it really is. So I hope if you've been coming to CR regularly <clears throat> and, are and are participating in your small groups, you should have an idea of someone you can consider for a sponsor or accountability partner. Now, ideally, we're looking for someone who's reasonably consistent in working on their recovery. I want you to notice I didn't say they had to be perfect. Someone who's similar issues as you do. Everyone's experiences in life are different. Uh, but finding a share partner who has an understanding of, of where you're at or where you're coming from helps you, them give you really good feedback, balance, and perspective. Sometimes, sometimes they just need to call out your BS, too. Um, they should be a person of the same gender. Sharing personal and intimate information about yourself is hard enough, and when done correctly, you're going to create a very special relationship between you and your share partner. If you're doing this with a member of the opposite sex, you are setting yourself up for a whole different set of problems than you had before. So more than one affair has begun from two people sharing deep personal information with each other. Don't do that. Um, I have also heard from people that their share partner is their spouse or their really good friend. And while I can really appreciate that, I really encourage you to find someone within a 12-step program, preferably within a CR program. Uh, one, because they understand the framework of the 12 steps and they know how to help keep you on track. Secondly, as well-meaning and loving that your spouse or friend is, um, they're too emotionally involved with you to hold you to account. Uh, loved ones generally want to make us feel better and they want to soften the hardships in our lives. They often want to agree with you when you want to make an issue someone else's fault, so they'll give you a pass. Um, that's not really what you want. A share partner needs to listen to you. They need to ask questions, provide perspective, sometimes make suggestions. A good share partner needs to be compassionate to your challenges, but sometimes they need to be strong enough to tell you that the difficulties that you're having is because you did something stupid and made some bad decisions. There's also the fear that your listener will think less of you. However, you have to keep in mind, we all have stuff, right? And who knows, they may have been doing worse things than you've been doing, but that's not really important. <laughs> Step five, the focus is on what you and you and what you've done or had done to you. So now we wanna talk about what we're admitting. Now, sometimes the secret we're harboring is a genuine wrong that we've done. 
but many times we're harboring something that we're actually not at fault for, but we still feel guilty about. Situations where there's family dysfunction or abuse because of addiction or mental health, these do create lifelong pain and suffering, and we didn't create the problem. But both sides of this have to be, be addressed. Um, so I want everybody to take a deep breath. Okay, say a prayer. Put aside your pride. We need to shine a light on every twist of character and every dark corner of our past. Because in revealing your most distressing memories to another person, be as honest as you can with that person. Looking at who you are and who you want to be. Be vulnerable. Don't hold back. Sharing our inventory with another person who can listen with compassion, it gives us an opportunity to free up our minds. Get it out of there <laughs> in our hearts. And then be open to receiving all the unconditional love um, that you can get from, from Jesus and, and from other people. You won't be judged and you won't be shamed on these things that you're revealing. The truth is, we've all done things we wish we could go back and change, but we can't do that. And we feel guilty and then we carry that guilt around and sometimes it's consciously, but most of the time it's unconsciously. So we deny our guilt and then we repress it and we often blame other people for it. We make excuses and rationalize but no matter how hard we try to run, we feel guilt's effects just the same. You know the saying, everywhere I go, there I am. If we're ever to recover, if we are ever to recover from our hurts, habits, and hangups, and experience a pure heart, we have to let go of our guilt and shame and gain that clear conscience from admitting those things. Okay, I could make a joke about hell's bells, but we won't go there. <laughs> If you didn't think I had a life before I became a Christian, okay? Most people discover there are patterns in their behavior during this step of the recovery process. When you're sharing your feelings and experiences, it helps you discover why we act the way we do. 1 John 1.9 tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. All right, so I have some questions for our share group when we all go to share group. All right, do you have an accountability partner? It is one of the first things we tell you when you come to CR and you're trying to, yeah, you can take a picture if you're going to share group. It's one of the first things we encourage you to do when you come out to CR is to get an accountability partner. You need that person. You need that person to help you, to support you, to, to be able to call on when you're having troubles and struggles. Two, have you done, at least in part, an inventory? If you have not done an inventory, because even, and you've been here and you've heard about it, if you haven't heard about it, you've got a bit of an excuse. But if you've been here and you've heard about it and you haven't done it, at least in part, you haven't started your recovery. You just haven't. You've not taken it seriously. You haven't put any effort. I'm sorry. I'm telling you these things in love because the word tells us if we, we need to be able to tell each other things and we're promised healing. And I love you too much to not see you get healed. So I'm telling you this in, in all that in love for you. Number three, if you've not done one and two, admit in your group why not and how you think this is preventing you from your recovery. Number four, admit what you are actively doing to further your recovery. This is the good stuff because our, our 
uh, inventory is supposed to be balanced. Try and tell people in your group what you've done to help protect yourself, to create the boundaries that you need. Have you set up a partner to call on if you think you're going to be drinking, if you think you're going to be gambling? Who's watching your money? Who's checking in on you? Who's making sure you're going to work? Who's making sure that you haven't bought too much chocolate over Easter? You know, those things. Number five, admit what step you are refusing to do. This is one that's going to get some people. Some of you think this is a three, four, or five-step program that you get to pick and choose which ones suit you. You're laughing again. I'm hitting home. Then when you come around again, and again, I'm saying this in love, but some of you keep coming around and you're not doing the work, and you come around and you whine and complain that things aren't getting any better. How long are you going to refuse God's leading? 38 years? Are you going to lie around on your mat? waiting for a miracle to come and show up. God's already told you to take action. He said, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. We thank you that uh, you loved us so much that you came, shed your blood for us, and were the first fruits of the new life that you've promised us, that we will be renewed in a new body, in a new heaven, in a new earth, when you return. And Lord, we look forward to that day of your second coming. We pray, Lord, for everyone here that they see that you, that you love them and you have grace for them and that you care about each and every one of them. As your word is promised, you know everything about us right down to the number of hairs on our head. We pray, Lord, for our share time, that we can be honest with each other and that we can trust one another so that we can pray for one another, so that we can be healed as your, as your word has promised us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.